All right. Hey, welcome to Rockbridge this weekend at all six of our locations. Um, uh, my name is Matt, and just uh, glad that y'all are here. Uh, I, I'm going to start just a little different. I, I want to be a little uh, reflective and retrospective, I if I can. Um, probably back in, in, the, in the fall, late fall, um, my family experienced a, a death. I lost my, my grandmother of 93 years old. And, and so, that, you know, processing that. And, and then uh, I started noticing in our, in our prayers, in our pastoral care, um, we just as a church family, and not, not just one campus, as I'm talking to other campus pastors and our care teams, uh, we just started seeing a, a, a larger than number of what I would call very unexpected deaths uh, in our student ministry, uh, toddlers, uh, people middle age, uh, and 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 then a, a slew of what I would just call difficult diagnoses. And 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 I've you know I've pastored now 17, 18 years, and so I know. By experience, I don't have, there's no statistical analysis of this, but I know by experience that there's going to be one or two very challenging uh, tragedies in, in our church family uh, on average a year. And we were going through half a dozen, dozen difficult crises, diagnosis, death in about a three month window. And so it caused me just to say, okay, God, there's got to be something that, that we might need to speak to about this, teach, talk about this. And, and so as I'm planning sermons and praying and talking and praying and talking, I kind of had two ideas, and I'm like, one this way, one this way. And then this happened. And our whole nation, in many, in many ways, a lot of people in the world uh, are seeing a 41-year-old uh, die in a tragic accident with his 13-year-old daughter and, uh, and seven other folks in, in, in a family. And then this happened. And our whole world is looking at this and wondering and, you know, and trying not to be afraid, but like, wow, that's crazy uh, how that can just kind of spiral and, and go. And, and so we've landed that we need to have an honest conversation about something Everybody faces, everybody's going to face, but nobody wants to talk about it, and that's death. Now, I'm not going to be morbid, morbid about this at all, but I think we've got to learn how to talk about it again because it's almost like in our society, straightforward talk about death is lacking, and we've almost agreed collectively, unspokenly, to not go there, yet everybody goes there. And, and so I think there's, some, there's a message that God has for us that we need to embrace, that we need to understand, and that we need to talk about. I mean, even how we portray death in like movies is like unhuman, right? It's like fantasy, it's escape, it's lightsabers, it's Avengers, it's zombies. And that's not real. That's not what we're going through as a church. And, and, and so we're going to just talk about it. And, and here's the promise that I'm going to make. And, and listen, we may not get to this promise right thinking about death is life-giving because I, I mean, that's not what we're taught. That's not what we even, might even believe here. So it's going to take some time. And, and, and the totality of what we're teaching over the next several weeks as we head into the, the Good Friday and head into Easter uh, is that we want to land at this point that right thinking or biblical thinking about death is actually 
life-giving, and, and, and we're going to get there, and, and we're going to journey there. Yes, I'm going to talk about heaven. Yes, we're going to talk about the defeat of death and how that came about. We're going to talk about all those things. I, I'm personally been praying and excited about this series, even though on the surface it's not a very exciting topic. Okay, so what I want to do, I want to pause all six of our locations. I just want to pray over us as a people. Uh, I want us to believe you're not here by accident. And I I want to prime our ears and just say, okay, God, if this is true, would you teach us uh, how to think rightly about something we don't like to think about at all? Join with me. God, I just want to come on behalf of everybody at a Rockbridge location this weekend and God, in, in, in all my years, we've just never faced the heightened awareness that death is a reality, that we could face it at any time. God, whether it's the deaths we've experienced or the diagnoses we've experienced as a church family that are very, very tough, or God, what we see on the news with a virus that can seemingly spiral out of control, or, or the death of an incredible athlete uh, that w- that's, and, and, his, and his daughter that just came out of nowhere. So God, we need your comfort, we need your perspective, we need your help. And, and so God, I thank you that you don't shy away from this subject at all. In fact, with your son Jesus, you face death head on, so we can face it here today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. So, so let's talk a little bit about what, what, what we do with death, okay? So what we really do is we treat and live as if death is distant. Now, here's what I mean by that. Given a choice about your life and your life right now, which one would you choose, right? And we just sort of look at this and we, ta- and we like, let me, let's just put this one out of the way because uh, that, this is much better, right? Uh, we've got time, we, it, my time is not now. And so we sort of live as if death is distant. Now, here's the problem with that. When, some, when we believe in our mind that something is distant and it comes upon us that, hey, it's not distant anymore, or it could happen to you too, whether that's a coronavirus or a helicopter crash or a, or a cancer diagnosis or a car accident or, or a bad flu season or whatever the case may be, when we think something that's far off and, and something we don't want to think about and something we don't want to face and something that doesn't seem real pleasant, when it goes from distant to not distant or distant to, hey, it could happen to you at any time, it causes us to have a crisis, uh, or it could cause us to have a crisis. And and, and so we got to unpack that. Now, let me lighten the mood a little bit and talk about Little Debbie's, okay? I I don't know which one is your favorite, but Little Debbie's, as far as long as I've lived, I can always count on an oatmeal cream pie or a Swiss cake roll or whatever when you go to the grocery store. So Little Debbie's kind of just always been a part of my life. Amen. Thank God. Praise the Lord, right? And and they're in the grocery store and, and they're great, right? Well, Little Debbie caused a crisis because they took something that has always been a part of our life, and in one tweet on social media, they created a crisis. One got to go forever. They just threw that out there about two years ago, and it went semi-viral because people are panicking, am I never going to have an oatmeal cream pie again? Something they never dreamed of. I mean, it was just like, hey, we got a long time before they get rid of these bad boys, right? And, and, so Chris, and so little Debbie just sort of created a crisis. And the guy from uh, Star Trek, William Shatner, look at what he did. He tweets back and he's like crying emojis, how about none of the above? 
And, and, and then he gets into it with little Debbie and, and little Debbie, and he says no. And they say, well, we didn't say it would be easy, right? I mean, they're playing with him, right? And, and so I'm like, when we talk about death, it's a little bit like talking about the end of an oatmeal cream pie, right? I mean, I would sort of feel like I've lost a part of my life if oatmeal cream pies went away. And then the guy, R.L. Stein, he's an author. He writes the kind of the kids kind of books like Goosebumps. He, he's like, if I have to choose, uh, save the oatmeal cream pies, please, because I really need them, right? So he's like begging, right? And all because of they created uncertainty about when something was going to end. Something that, you know, we just sort of think in our culture is going to be around as long as we're going to the grocery store. I mean, it would be like nuclear holocaust for these things to go away, right? And with one little tweet, they take something <clears throat> that we think of in this terms, and they just create the uncertainty. And, and, and something that we think is distant and is always going to be there is like, no, it's not going to be there, or it might not be there. And we get all this stuff going on on social media and it creates a little funny crisis, but a crisis nonetheless. Now multiply that out when we think about death. So we're going to look in some passages of Scripture. Today we're going to be in a, a book Jesus' half-brother James wrote. We're going to be in James chapter 4. And, and James is going to talk to us candidly, and that's what we're going to look at all these next several weeks in 30 Days to Live. James is going to talk to us candidly about how we approach life and, and how we tend to approach life. And, and, and we tend to approach life as if we have more time, a lot more time. Because, and, and, again, we, we don't want to think about this. We, we, we like to have a little bit more like this. And, and so he's going to talk to us candidly, and we're going to see what we can get from it here in part one of 30 Days to Live. Now, as we jump into this, this passage the central question that James is asking, really in his whole letter, is this question. Okay, how are we going to build our lives? And, and, and when you think about how you're going to build your life, when you ask your kids, what do they want to be when they grow up? When you get married, you're like, hey, what are, how many kids do we want to have? Where do we want to live? What do we want to do in retirement? Everybody is building their life on the death is distant presumption assumption. I mean, that's just what we're doing, right? And, and that seems like what, that's normal because what's normal to us is everybody should live to a certain age. And, and, and by golly, God, you should make sure that happens, right? That's just what's normal and that's what we do. And, and so when you, when you understand that's what we're coming at this from, you're going to understand the shocker of how James builds this conversation, okay? And it's the half-brother of Jesus. So here's what he says. We'll start reading verse 13. He says, Come now, you who say. Now, let me stop. This is a real abrupt, brusque saying, and it's only found in two times in the Bible, but it's used a lot in Hellenistic Greek culture in the first century. So come now is sort of like, seriously? It's got some tone to it. It's got some attitude behind it. Like, come on, man, right? I mean, it's got something behind it. So it's, it's designed to sort of rattle the cage a little bit. It's designed to get us to think differently about something that we're not used to thinking differently about, okay? So you got to understand that kind of is hidden in the Greek. doesn't come across in English, but I'm trying to give it to you. So here's what he says. Come now, you who say, and he's going to mention 
Five things, we'll come to those later, but he's going to mention five things that are sort of how we plan and build and arrange our life. So here's what he says, today or tomorrow, eh, you know, one day or, we'll get to it, so it's a little bit, we've got time, we can figure it out, but today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city, just pick a city, uh, and, and spend a year there and do some business, and we're going to make some, we're going to make some buck, we're going to make a profit. So So he says, for people who say this or people who live like this, I've got something to teach you. Now, it strikes me that this is sort of how we all do our life. Hey, today, tomorrow, we'll do this. We'll go there, maybe make some money, have some fun, have a good time, all of that. So when we look at this central question that we're wrestling with, how do we build our lives? What we start to see unfold in the text is most of us build our lives and we think about all the options, all the choices, all the decisions that we have. And, and this, is like, this is like Americana, right? I mean, we like going to the grocery store when we have 717 cereal options, right? We like the fact that we can pick and choose and do whatever it is we want, whenever it is we want it, and, and, and maybe God's going to help us with it, and things are going to work out, and we'll make families, we'll make money, we'll make culture, we'll, we'll, we'll make memories, and all those kind of things. And, and we plan, and we do this in five areas. Here's the five areas. Time today or tomorrow, direction, we're going to go over here, okay, location to this city, endeavor, business, we're going to start a business, we're going to start a company, we're going to uh, search out a new product, whatever, and, and our goal and purpose is to make money. And, and, and I bet, you know, if we all were just kind of honest and we sort of analyzed our planning and we analyzed our hoping and we analyzed our dreaming and we analyzed our praying, we could probably just categorize what we're shooting for, what we're aiming for, what our, we're building our lives around. It would be, here's where I want to be in my 20s. Here's where I need to be in my 30s. To retire, here's where I need. So time is in the man. And it's like, this is the direction I'm going to go in my relationships. This is the direction I'm going to go in my career. This is the direction I'm going to go with my family. Location, where we're going to live here, do business here. My endeavor is business. My endeavor is academics. My endeavor is athletics. And we've all got those. And here's my goal. Here's my purpose. And, and our, our, the person James is addressing was to make money. Some people, it's, you know, I, I want to have fun. I want to collect experiences. And, and so we've all got this. And it's it sort of becomes our life plan, and it could sort of become what we might even call a bucket list, okay? And, and look, there's nothing inherently, we're going to get to the, what's wrong about it, but there's nothing inherently with having these kind of dreams. I, I'm not saying any of that's wrong or any of that's bad. It's just limited in perspective, and it's built on something we're going to have to unbuild and then rebuild it, and that's why we're doing this, part of the reason why we're doing this series. All right, and so in the middle of this conversation, James, the biblical author inspired by the Holy Spirit, the half-brother of the resurrected Jesus Christ, inserts uncertainty. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. But, 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 no, no, but I got times there. I've got, I've got, I've got stuff to do. But you don't know what tomorrow will be. So what James does is he takes a person who's, who's banking on, building on this, and he just says, hey, but it could look like this. And, and, and it doesn't seem like a real hopeful 
exciting message at this point. I, I get that. I understand that. And, and it doesn't seem like it's real loving or like we don't like, uh, tell me something, but give me some better news. We're going to get there. But he just puts this on the table like little Debbie did. So let me just kind of put behind my oatmeal cream pie. We got our two, our two hourglasses and we've got uncertainty around how long our plans are going to last. We hope it's here, but what if it's here, right? And so what he's undoing or what he's pointing out is, hey, we build our lives with options, choices, and decisions, but if we're not careful, we build our lives on a presumption, on a presumption. Now, and here's the presumption, and this is the problem James is pointing out for us. The presumption, a presumption is this. I just got this out of the dictionary. It's an idea that's taken to be true and often uses as the basis for other ideas, although it is not known for certain. So here's, what, here's what's happening in the text. I'm going to take something, right? That I, I'm going to take it to be true that I've got a lot of time. Okay? And I'm going to use that as the basis for my time, my location, my place, my endeavor, and my goal. This is going to be the foundational presumption of all my decision-making, of all my choices, and, and, and I, even though it's not known for certain. So James just says, hey, it's not for certain how long we all, any of us, have. Okay? And, and so he's attacking this kind of presumption. You, you've heard the phrase, hey, when my time will come. And, and most of us kind of think this is what we're, the one we're holding when we talk about when my time will come. And, and so James is un, unraveling that presumption. And so he says, look, the presumption about when my time will come. And for most of us, here's our presumption that my when, when my time will come, is not now, not imminent and not possible in this season. That my now or my when is not going to happen now or it's not imminent and it's not possible in this season, okay? And, and, and that, was, um, that was sort of, if you watched any of the reaction to Kobe Bryant's death and all of that, I mean, I even heard one guy say, he's been like Superman to me, and I really thought he was just going to get out of the rubble on the mountain of that crash and get back up and start and keep being Kobe. And, and that's what we're talking about. That's why death feels like such a disruption or a devastation or an interruption uh, to, to plans and to everything. But the presumption that James is saying is when we don't, when we sort of think my time will come, but it's not going to come now, it's not going to come soon, and it's not really possible in this season, I'm a dad. I'm a dad with young kids, or I'm just starting my career, or, but I thought the test was negative a year ago. I mean, all of that stuff gets woven in here, and we're human beings, and so we struggle with it, okay? And let's just be honest, we struggle with it, and it's okay to struggle with it, but I want us to struggle with it not not based on a presumption. I want us to base, struggle with it based on something more solid, okay? All right, so James continues the conversation, and, and he says this in verse 14. He says, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, all right? But he, and he presses the point, okay? And, and, and this is, he says this, for you are like a vapor, a vapor that appears for a little while, no, 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 not a little while. I mean, I thought it was this. No, no, no. In light of everything, he says, you're just here for a little while and then vanishes. 
and then vanishes. And so James creates uncertainty around this presumption about when my time, our time, your time will come. So he just inserts uncertainty into an area we love to live as if there is certainty. So we, we feel that tension, right? We, we feel that today uh, with, with the coronavirus, or we feel that because of what you've walked through with your family, or, or I've walked through with my family, or some of you in your families and your situations. So we all feel that. And so I want us to take a deep breath, and then I, this is how we have to read the Bible. As we have to read the Bible in light of something, okay? The Bible is written, in this case, by Jesus' half-brother James, but it's written by human beings, who were under the supernatural inspiration of God through the Holy Spirit. All right, so we have to understand that. James is not writing on his own devices. James is not writing as just another guy sharing an opinion. He is writing under the influence, the authority, the inspiration of a holy God. So when I read, that's why I'm reading this text, and I'm praying for our church, I'm praying for families, I'm wrestling with death, I'm wrestling with all this stuff, I, I, I come here and I'm like, this is like a tough pill to swallow. And so I stop and I ask this question, the God who died for me as a sacrifice The God who died instead of me as a substitute has just given me this uncertainty, and it's an uncertainty I don't want. So question mark, question mark, question mark. What does this mean, God? Because the definition of God's love is God as my sacrifice. He died for my sins. God as my substitute. He took my punishment And he gives me this uncertainty. So this God that I think should give everybody this kind of time has just said, nope, I'm I'm really not going to tell you. I'm just going to give you what it is, which is uncertainty. That doesn't feel very loving, but I don't judge God's love by how it feels. I judge God's love by what he did on the cross. And so I'm wrestling with that. Now, here's, here's where we begin to build some things, okay? In God's mind, not, not in say my mind, your mind, or our culture's mind, but we're trying to get the mind of God here. In God's mind then, here's a few things what we've just said has to mean. That in God's mind, life does not equal life expectancy. That in God's economy, in God's way of looking at things, life does not equal life expectancy. And and now, America doesn't agree with this. You may not like this, but when he tells me my life is like a vapor, and Matt, you do not have a promise that you'll wake up physically tomorrow in your zip code here on earth, I have to reckon, I have to, how do I reconcile that with a God who says he loves me, he died for me, he died instead of me, and one of his promises to me is I have come that you might have life, John 10, 10, and you might have life more abundantly or more completely. Then I have to come back and say, I'm not believing something or looking at something correctly. I'm looking at something through the long, wrong lens. So life does not equal life expectancy. The second thing it means that we sort of have to wrestle with is 
that if our life is like a vapor and God says that's just the way it is, brief life does not equal bad. Brief does not equal bad. Remember, Jesus only lived 30, 33 or so on the earth. Most of the disciples died in their 20s or 30s. So brief does not equal bad. I didn't say it didn't feel bad, it didn't hurt, and it doesn't cause doubt, and it doesn't cause confusion. I didn't say that. But I just said in God's mind, in God, we, and we have the mind of God laid out for us in the, in the Word of God, that brief does not equal bad. Okay, so there's got to be something else that God's aiming for. I mean, we, we all want, I mean, hey, we, we all want, hey, you know, the doctor says we're not sure which way it's going to go, which way we're going to go. We all want this. We all want him to walk out of the hospital holding one of these, right? I, get, I guess what we want. And, and we think that's what God should always do. I get it, right? But that's just not what the Bible's teaching us. And, 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 and you know, it, it, the, the day I teach you what you want to hear instead of what the Bible says we need to hear is the day I ought to quit because I'm not loving you with the love of God. Now, thankfully, now that I've created a lot of tension or the text of the Word of God has created a lot of tension, thankfully, the Bible, the, the story, the conversation doesn't stop because we get a better way. We get a better way. So here's what he says. He says, instead, and I thought, okay, thank you. Because if, if you'd have just put a period and ended right there, James, you'd have left a lot of us hanging. You left a lot of us hanging, God, because this is just not what we... So instead, he said, you should say. Let's look at it a different way. Let me give you a different perspective. If the Lord wills, so he keeps uncertainty. I'm hoping, I'm hoping, God, no, no, instead, let me just take this small hourglass away and let's let everybody walk out of here. Merry, you know, Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, see you next week, and we're all happy, right? No, it's not what he keeps. He, he still gives us this. He's like, you got to walk out of here holding this. Hoping, pray, but you still going to walk out here like this. So he keeps that uncertainty about when. He says, if the Lord wills, we will live and we'll do this or that. We're not going to presume we have tomorrow. We're not going to presume, presume that our business is going to make a profit. We're not going to presume that we can go in this direction and achieve our goals. We're going to say, if the Lord wills, and Paul says that same phrase in two places when it's like, hey, I may go there if God lets me. I may make it to you if the Lord wills. He says it. So there's something about this phrase, if the Lord's will. He says, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this. But he says, look, as it is, you boast in your arrogance or your presumption, and all such boasting is evil because you're playing God, you're taking God out of the equation. So he starts to build and show us a better way. And, and listen, it took me a while, I want to be honest, it took me a while to appreciate and realize how much of a better way this is, okay? It, it took me a while. I, what, the, the, te, the, the point I'm going to show next, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to hold it for a second. I, I'm, I'm being as raw as I can be. I did not get the point of the next part of the sermon that I'm about to share until I was in the emergency room with my wife and she has leukemia, and the treatment, her body is not liking it. And she looked at her attending physician, and she said, Doctor, uh, could I die? And he said, Yes, I will not know for a few hours if your body responds to what I just did. 
I didn't, and, and I was my late 30s, and I've been a Christian since I was eight. I did not get this point that I'm about to share with you until that moment in that hospital in Manhattan. But in that moment, this truth came alive, and it blessed me. And here it is. I have to be willing, we have to be willing to exchange our personal presumption for God's sovereignty and God's sovereign purposes. Sovereignty means God is in charge in a big-time way. God, God, he's not just in charge when you were born and when you die. I mean, he's in charge in a big-time way. And, and so at, at that moment, my presumptions about how long I would have with my wife or how long this or we just adopted, all those presumptions, I have to put those aside and say, okay, there is a sovereign God that's in charge. This sovereign God died for me instead of me, my sacrifice, my substitute. This sovereign God has got a sovereign purpose. I don't see how his purpose is good in this moment, but I see this moment through the lens of the cross of his son and the empty tomb of his son. So I will lean into his sovereignty because I'm not in charge. The doctor just admitted he wasn't in charge. I need somebody to be in charge in this moment. And I'm going to choose in this moment, the God who died for me and died instead of me, that he can have this moment. And that's how I learned to love the sovereignty of God. And it's scriptural. Proverbs 27.1, don't boast about tomorrow. You don't know what a day might bring. And so God loves us too much for us to build our life on a presumption, something that we think is true, what we think should be true, but may not necessarily be true. He wants to build our lives on a purpose, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. There's such freedom in this. There's such pressures off in this. If the Lord wills. His purpose is, is clear in the word of God. His, his love is clear in, in the fact that he died for me, died instead of me. And so, if the Lord wills. God's in charge. God's sovereign. And he's good and he's gracious. Now, here's what's even more interesting. As I'm, as I'm wrestling with this subject for 30 days to live. When did death start? Well, death started when we rebelled against God and we sinned. But God has been talking about and leveraging death and the idea of death and the concept of death before there even was death. I, I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that. I've been studying the Bible a long, long time. In Genesis 2.17, everything in the world is perfect, okay? I mean, Adam and Eve didn't have to wear clothes. They were so perfect, right? Some of us can only imagine, right? Some of us are thankful for clothes right now, right? But, I mean, uh, there, every, there's no cancer, okay? There's no tragedy. There's no accidents. There's no coronavirus. None of that. Nothing. And God still talks about death. What does he do? He says to Adam and Eve, you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, so you must not disobey me. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. 
So in the midst of perfection, God brings up death. Now, what's he doing? He's using the possibility of death to aim Adam and Eve toward his sovereign purpose for them, which was to go out, be fruitful, multiply, reflect God in the culture. So he's using the possibility of death to cause Adam and Eve to choose the right path for life. Now, with us, he uses the certainty of death to cause us to lean into the purposes of God, not the purposes of man, right? So God's over this whole thing trying to move us because we have free will, options, choices, and decisions, trying to move us in the direction of pursuing him, pursuing his purpose, and living in a personal relationship with him. Now, for this to have power... We have to make another exchange. For this to come alive in our lives, we have to be willing to exchange, I called it distant death. We have to be willing to exchange our notion that death is way out there, distant death, for defeated death. Defeated death. See, here's where Satan got Adam and Eve, okay? Listen. Adam and Eve were told by God, you'll die if you eat this. But they're like, oh, that's, no, we're not going to die. Do you know what the first lie in the Bible was? Satan looked at Adam and Eve and said, you won't die. Don't take death seriously. Don't take God literally. That's just a bunch of smoke and mirrors. God, God wouldn't do that to you. He just knows it'll be good for you if you do what I want him to do. If you, do, if you, don't, if you disobey him and do what I tell you to do. The first lie in the Bible, the first is, is a lie about death. And we've been trying to believe a lie about death ever since. And when we believe the lie about death, that it's way off, it's not a big deal, it won't have, you know, then when it comes, we're shocked, we don't know what to do. We miss our purpose. We miss our purpose. And, and so I think there's some people here today, and, you, and we need to embrace that death has been defeated. We need to embrace our responsibility that we've sinned. We need to embrace that we've rejected God. And, and so maybe you here today, you need to start building your life on a base, a, a spiritual base, not an uncertain base, but a spiritual base. And so maybe today is the day you, you accept Christ. Hey, I, I just want to give you four steps, four ways to think about it. I have to believe Jesus died and rose for me and instead of me. I accept his gift of forgiveness and his offer of life. The hardest one is all to become a Christ follower. I have to surrender or I have to switch my way to his way. I like to say I have to give God the steering wheel of my life. Okay? And then I express my new life by going public in baptism and love God back through what I call love-driven obedience. I don't obey God to make him accept me. I, I obey him because he has accepted me, and I love him back. And, and, and so if this is you, and you're ready to give Jesus the steering wheel of your life, would you take out a next step card? Maybe there's a prayer need you have, and, and you, we can pray for you. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you want to go to a grow class. But you can walk out of here today and have an understanding 
of death is defeated and life is in you that cannot be extinguished. And that is the life of God, his son, Jesus Christ, his spirit, the Holy Spirit residing, abiding in you because you have given God your sin. You have given God the steering wheel of your life. You've fallen in love with him because he died for you and he died instead of you. And you're going to spend the rest of your life walking by his purpose in a personal relationship with him. If you're ready to say yes to that, say yes to that. Now, here's the beautiful thing. So we have exchanged personal presumption for the sovereignty of God. We've exchanged defeat, distant death for defeated death. And here's the last exchange we make. We exchange the false certainty that we all think it looks like this, right? I think this is what we got. We exchange the false certainty about when for life clarity, for life clarity. When I embrace, when, when we start thinking and talking, I, what if you only had 30 days to live? We get very clear about what matters most, don't we? We get very clear about what's important. We get ve- our, our options, choices, and decisions, which we started the sermon, and we had all, all these options, choices, and decisions. When we start thinking truly correctly about death, those options, choices, and decisions begin to narrow, and we get a lot of focus. If Adam and Eve had focused on, and, and let death give them clarity, they never would have gone near the fruit, right? They never would have done it. So this gives us clarity. And so God allows for us to have this, God demolishes the false certainty. And and, and God says, look, this is sort of how you got to leave here today. Like you just don't know. But he wants us to embrace this so we depend upon him and we live with clarity. And that's what James says in the last verse in this thought that he's sharing. So he says, we've been talking about death, we've been talking about all this. He says, so it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. Now, what did he say before? You don't know when, you don't know what's going to happen, you don't know what tomorrow will bring, but you do know the good you're supposed to do, and now you need to go do it. That's clarity. Adam and Eve had clarity, right? But they chose not to do clarity. They chose to try to cheat, skimp, and avoid death because they believed a lie. We try to do the same thing. How many of us here today think, I've got more time to get right with someone? I've got more time to get right with God. I've got more time to get my act together. I've got more time to spend with my kids. I've got more time to read my Bible. I'll start that when life settles down. I've got more time. I've got more time. And here's what you need to hear, not from Matt Evans, but from a God who died for you and died instead of you. He doesn't tell you how much time you have. He doesn't define your life by life expectancy. He doesn't owe you this, and he doesn't define a brief life as a bad life. So here's what I want us to do. Let's go back to those five areas that James pointed out. Time, direction, location, endeavors, enterprises, activities, and our goal and purpose. Those five areas. And I'm going to ask you three questions about these five areas. In light of the fact... That was uncertainty. Here's the questions. In those five areas, are they submitted and surrendered to God? Are they submitted and surrendered to God? Can you say in those five areas of your life, if the Lord wills? Second question. 
It's okay to have those plans. We just don't plan presumptively. But are they serving as platforms for God's purpose? Now, James defines God's purpose in a, in a clear, practical way of do the good you know to do in your time, in your place, in your relationships, with your finances, et cetera, et cetera. That's how James defines it. I, I might say live for the glory of God, get on the front lines, love God, love others, live sent. But James's definition is my enterprise, is my time, is my location, is my goal a platform to live for God's purpose? Death gives clarity, right? And then, last question, where do I need to turn when into now? Because a lot of us, when I feel like it, I've got time. When I get around to it, I've got time. When it makes sense, when things settle down, oh, I, I'm 20. I, I, I'll be ready to get right with God when I have my first kid. When it, when, that's when. But this is what God gave us because he loves us. And he doesn't want us to build our life on a presumption. He wants to live our lives with clarity. And the first step... In part one of 30 Days to Live, where do I need to turn a win into a now? For some of you, now is the day you need to give Jesus the steering wheel of your life. For some of, now is the day I need to get right with God and quit running from God. Now is the day I've got to go home and start loving my wife. And t- I've, got to, I've got to give an apology. Now is the day I've got to. You and the Holy Spirit work on your answer to these questions and realize what we said at the beginning. Thinking correctly about death is life-giving because God is a life-giver, a full and abundant life on purpose and in a personal relationship with Him. Let's pray together. God, I thank You for loving us so much that... You do not want us to build life on a presumption and that, God, you don't want us to live life lacking clarity. So, God, I know all of us are, have, have experienced, are experiencing, or will experience death in many different ways. And so, God, we've got a lot more work to do. And we're hungry for your word. We're hungry for your perspective. But at least this weekend, God, let us wrestle with the fact that tomorrow is not promised but we can live on purpose and with clarity today. So help us to turn when into now. Help us to fully submit, fully surrender. God, help us to use our lives as a platform for your purpose. And for God, anybody here, that today is their now, the now of being adopted into your family, the now of saying yes to Jesus as Savior, King, and Lord, the now of giving you the steering wheel of their life, the now of saying, I'm going to go public with baptism. I pray, God, you empower and fuel, guide and direct their yes to you. Thank you, Jesus. When you died for us, you said yes to all of us who would put our faith and trust in in you. And so, God, may we build our lives on you. And God, we're now going to just be excited to worship you and sing back to you and give back to you with our tithes and offerings. And we pray, God, in the strong name of Jesus, you would hear our praises, answer our prayers, 
And help us, God, to walk out of here living with clarity for the purpose of which you created us. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.